Do you know what the song is? This is The Police. Yeah. Well, why are we listening to The Police? You'll hear. There's a message. The King of Pain. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. uh, okay. So who's the King of Pain? Well, no. I mean, not the King of Pain. It's just I happened to be in a coffee shop earlier, (laughs) and I was getting some coffee, you know, before coming here to prep for the show, and uh, they were playing the song, the old police song, King Uh of Pain. I thought, what a weird song to be playing there. I couldn't get it out of my head, and I realized why, because whatever, because TechCrunch. Which is, good morning, Jay. Good morning. This is Rebooting the News number 94. My name is Dave, and that's Jay over there. And we yeah. have a very, 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 very special guest with us We do today. indeed. Her name is Lisa Williams. The Lisa? great Lisa Williams. Lisa, would you say hello? Hey, everybody. Whoa. Oh, that was loud. I was expecting that to be her to be quiet. She's not Shh. quiet. Lisa should never be quiet. No. Lisa should be very loud. Lisa is a geek and uh, news... Rebuting the news person. Totally. Uh, who has been involved in lots of projects that interest me and Dave and also helped make my South by Southwest presentation a hit because she was absolutely a great partner in that and we had a great deal of fun doing it. That was so fun. It really was. Uh, and she's the founder of placeblogger.com, which is, um, uh, how would you describe it, Lisa? It's uh, Blogger is the largest searchable index of local web law. So you okay. want to know who's blogging in Timbuktu, we got you covered. Or rather, right. about Timbuktu. Place Blogger right. is about sites that are about places. Right. And it's a uh, Night News Challenge winner, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's also involved in lots of other projects and in the uh, rebooting the news community in Boston. Yep. Well, I went through the whole news challenge process again, too. You mm-hmm. did? What did you... Yes. Did you, you? Oh, I'm pretty sure I didn't get it, but for a different project. Uh huh. Yeah, different, different but related project. Cool. What was it? What is it? Oh, it's a it's a rate card generator for local sites. Oh. Which, since I'm learning to program, even if Knight doesn't give me the money to hire somebody else, I'm going to do it myself. Yeah. And blog about it. There you go. A lot. Uh huh. I know where I know where you're going with that. Lisa's a natural born blogger. NBB. Yeah. yeah. And she was one of the original Berkman Thursday people. Right. Way, way back. And 2003. BloggerCon. She yeah. was one of the people. That she was at the first BloggerCon. No, no, she did more than be at the first BloggerCon. She helped organize She was it. one of the organizers yeah. of BloggerCon. I always say that it was like not, you know, everybody gives me the credit for it, but there was a group of people that met every Thursday at Berkman Center at Harvard Law School at the time. And that came as an outgrowth of that little community. That was a there. great event. Yeah. I still remember the room. It was quite a room. There's Doc Searles and, oh, there's Glenn Reynolds. Yeah. It's amazing. There's Lisa Williams. There's Jeff Jarvis. It was a small room, but there were a lot of people in it. It was was funny how that worked out. It's like everybody keeps, I keep meeting people in the world that are, you know, and it turns out they were there too. Yeah. It's like there must have been like a thousand people there because it seems like everybody was there. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's funny. Welcome, Lisa. Yeah. Hey. So, what should we talk about today, Jay? Well, first, uh, I'd love to hear about Lisa's uh, uh, crash course in programming. She's learning how to program in a sort of a basic way, and I'd love to ask her why she's doing that and and what she's learning by sort of starting at square one with programming. You know, 
I didn't want anybody to be between me and I, my ideas. Uh-huh. I actually want to be able to do them myself, and I think I'll probably learn a lot. And I'll learn a lot more about how to be a good partner to other technical people. I think a lot of non-technical people sort of start out with a reasonable ask for a technical person that ends up being puppies, Kindle Obama rainbows by next week, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and you quickly sort of like lose credibility and lose sort of connection to those kind of partners. But I have a million I I have a million ideas for like one trick pony websites. Like I'd love to make like, you know, that NPR has an API. I, I think that's just rife for like, you know, satirical websites. You know, like puppies and kittens NPR. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> like you know, it'd be it'd be just a site that showed you everything cute on NPR. And you want to be able to do this without having to ask anybody or convince anybody it's a good idea. Yes, exactly. I want to I want to be able to do the kind of weekend projects I have in my head. Mm-hmm. And I feel like once once you have to convince somebody it's a good idea, um, you know, the friction goes up so high, and I think we lose a lot of ideas that could be good that way. Yeah, but you know, they don't come off well at first and they're hard to convince people about mm-hmm. and uh, and and we kind of uh, we make our ideas kind of too uh, arthritic almost by other, trying to pitch them too much yeah they get other directed they start to take yeah. on the shape of what yeah. you think and they you get need. and they get fixed yeah. you keep pitch you, you know you have an elevator pitch is also basically freezing your idea in amber mm-hmm. you know an, an elevator pitch is what you have when you have to convince lots of other people to use their talent on your project or use their money on your project. And if you don't have that, you can keep changing your idea. That's why I always hated elevator pitches. I always felt I was being programmed when I was listening to one. Yeah. I I mean, I think it's actually a useful skill even for journalists to learn. Mm -hmm. Oh, it is useful, totally. I think that, you know, it's, I always tell, like, kids when I, because I I love going to talk to journalism students, really, you know, like, refreshing, you know, and, and, I always tell them, you know, it's not enough to have a good idea. You have to be good at talking about your idea. True. Because eventually you will have to convince other people to, like, you know, help you out if your idea gets bigger. I'm the point teaching is to be able to start when your idea is small yeah. without anybody's assistance or permission. I totally agree with you. I'm teaching my students in Studio 20 to do that. They have to not only mm-hmm. have ideas, they have to learn how to present them. And we actually yep. spend quite a bit of time on presentation. Yeah. Exactly you know, if they're going to work with anybody besides themselves. Right. I mean, their their ideas are just going to get run over by people who might not even have as good ideas as they do. They're just better at presenting. Yeah. Um, Dave, I wanted to get an update uh, on the Blork system because uh, I've been following it a little bit more closely now that I'm part of the uh, mailing list. I'm also mm-hmm. using your tools, of course. But mm-hmm. I'd love to know where you are in uh, developing this system. Mm, we're moving along. I don't know. It's... Um I'm not that good about communicating about my programming. I was just listening to that little, you know, that whole thing. Is I was very happy that I don't have to convince people yeah. of the quality of my ideas. Yeah. I can just go ahead and do them, and it's really been that way ever. Well, it hasn't always been that way. I used to do engineering work for for um, for rock bands, and mm. there I was, you know, very much peripheral. I never even they never would, you know. They didn't listen to my ideas, never had them, you know, didn't bother. <laughs> and I think that's the way a lot of programmers feel. And then they get the power and um, or get some power, and they can be very difficult to work with. That's mm-hmm. why I think it's great that Lisa's getting the programming skills. We talked quite a bit before you got here about this, and 
Uh, one of the reasons why it's a good thing to do is that it's very hard to be, it's harder to be intimidated by and to be snowed by programmers right. if you know when you're being bullshitted. Right. And um, it's one of the reasons why I feel strongly that in addition to teaching your students how to um, present their ideas, they should also know how to run their own website. Yeah. Um, because in the, as a last resort, as Lisa's learning, you know, if you, if the news needs to get out there and you can't convince anybody else to do it, mm-hmm. you should have the means to do it yourself. It's mm-hmm. not that hard. Um, so, in any case, what what Bork is doing now is a little hard to describe. First of all, it, um, I mean, it's it's becoming a bigger project um, and involving more people and uh, um, and it's. Part of it, the part that you're using is maturing mm-hmm. very nicely. Mm-hmm. And so we spent the last two weeks doing something that's uh, um, akin to translating a book uh, into a different language. <laughs> it's uh, uh-huh. taking all of the styles that are in the program and separating them out from the program itself and making them user editable. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so it's a major transformation, but it is just a transformation. It doesn't re- involve a whole lot of creativity. It's not something that you have to spend a lot of time. Uh, it's more like a process. It's more like, uh, you know, planting a lawn. You know, if you've mm-hmm. ever planted a lawn, you know, um, from scratch. I have. I have not. I have. And it's the first time you do it, it's... You learn a lot. <laughs> you don't get a lawn. <laughs> mm-hmm. The second time you do it, you get something that remotely looks like a lawn. The third time you do it, you get a lawn. It mm-hmm. looks like a golf course. You, know, mm-hmm. you really learn what you're doing. Um, and that's what this is like. So now we have it so that basically a designer could completely pervert the look of the product in any way they want to, which is which is great because I'm not one of them. But I also, but I, however, I really understand the value of creating a place for them to play um you know we did that with uh with our first blogging tool which was called manila we did it with radio um blogger did it all the good blogging tools did it um some better than others wordpress doesn't in my opinion not so good it uh, being allow the designer to come in and, and completely, completely reprogram it. Yeah. yeah. So you create a different com- right. now. Tumblr, I think, leads here. Tumblr is is the sort of, I mean, as it should because it's it's the last in. You know? Right. It's so it should be better than all the rest of them. And um, what makes it so good at that particular thing? Oh, you know. You don't have to look to the way it does it to figure that out. You just look to the to how beautiful Tumblr sites look. Oh, I have seen that. Right. Of course. I yeah. mean, that's your clue. Yeah. If if it attracts designers, it must be good. But that's doing, the effect. What's the cause? The, well, it's the ability to change everything about the product and mm-hmm. do it easily. Yeah. Okay. WordPress does not makes you have to be a programmer to do that. Uh-huh. Okay. Mm. And um and therefore and not and usually the two skills are fairly exclusive, mutually exclusive. The right. the ability to you know to make things visually beautiful is something that well you know you have to use your brain cells for something right. And programmers have their brains loaded up yeah. with these details and right. there's not a whole lot of room left for making things looking all that beautiful. What you want to do is you want to pass that problem off in a very, very neat way and give full power to over look to the designers <coughs> who 
do approach the world that way. Right. And you know, wake. You know, you know, what do you wake up in the morning? What kind of ideas do you wake up with? If you're a designer, you wake up with ideas about how to make things more beautiful. Mm-hmm. If you're a programmer, you learn. You think in terms of how to blow a new hole into something so that power opens up to people. Mm-hmm. It's just different plumbing versus gardening. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's a different different skill set, different way of looking at the world. Um, so that's why Tumblr is is so great is because if you go look at their template system, it's pure simplicity and pure power. It gives you everything, and it's easy to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's been a big trend now um, in Twitter and Facebook that completely lock out the designers. There's no role for designers anymore, which is mm-hmm. yeah, which was sort of funny because you know who Zeldman is, probably both of you guys, right? Zeldman. Mm-hmm. Um, Zeldman mm-hmm. is sort of the guru of the design community. No. Okay, well, know. he's very famous. He goes back as far as either Lisa or I do. Um, and he, if you, you know, he is to CSS as I am to RSS. Okay? Mm-hmm. This is very similar, so, except, yeah, I mean, similar sort of thing. Not exactly equivalent, but similar. And uh, he had a blog post where he just mimicked somebody saying RSS. Facebook and Twitter had killed RSS. And it's like, oh, please. That's so disheartening. Especially considering that just as much as they did that to RSS, they did it to CSS, too. Mm-hmm. Because you can't edit the CSS of mm-hmm. your Facebook page. Right. It's completely not in the realm of possibilities. Right. So, and same with Twitter. Twitter does not give the designer any way into it. Um, and so if you want to come into this space and offer people something, you know, different, and and I felt this was super important. I like empowering the designers because they make my work beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it comes at a zero. It comes at a little cost. My program, my software, when it's running, has to do a little bit more work. Not a whole lot, just a little bit to let the user change that. You know, guy Jay, I can't imagine you want to do that, right? No, no, I'd like to make things look sim- beautiful, but only in some very minor ways. That but if somebody you know. came along and said. Uh, you know, here here's a a theme that you could apply to. Oh yeah, I would always do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I f- I'm in the same boat yeah. with you on that. I would approach. The same I way. love the idea, the the way that I could scroll through Tumblr f- uh, themes and find one that I loved and it worked. Yeah. Right. That's uh, it. That's I, I love that. That was like, wow, this is this is great. Yeah. I mean, that's why Tumblr appears appeals to creative. You people. know what I mean, Lisa? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and it actually, like, you know, with new sites that I've started, they've become more Tumblr and selected simpler and simpler and simpler, often single column, Yeah. you know, white, you know, very often, you know, um, just because, you know, why why do anything different? You know what I mean? Just, con- just you know, focus people's attention on the content. Right. Yeah, I picked a very simple white, red, and black theme when I started my Tumblr. Yep. Mm-hmm. But your press thing blog just got to re yeah re by a professional designer yeah who actually is that rare person who can manipulate a CSS and do design well that no the CSS and design are the same thing I meant graphic design that's what that's what I mean they okay. usually are the same person yeah absolutely yeah not uncommon and she's good yeah well your blog looks great it looks so, fantastic yeah. I love it yeah so that's a clue. Um, what do you think about the soccer star who sued uh, everybody in the world to try to get them to shut British up? British press law is so bizarre. Isn't it? it what really was the guy's strange. name? I keep forgetting it. It's I cool. don't actually know his uh, name. You don't know it? No, but I Lisa, know it's do you been remember all over his Twitter. Name? You know, I don't know this case. Oh. You don't know about this? 
No. What rock have you been living under, Lisa? <laughs> There's a British soccer star who's apparently having an affair with some TV personality. And in the U.K., you can essentially get a prior restraint order to prevent anyone in the media from um, mentioning this. And the law is on the side of the celebrity. And he so got a super injunction. Super injunction, it's called, which in the United States we would call prior restraint, and yes. which means preventing you from saying it rather than prosecuting you for saying something that you shouldn't say. His name is Ryan Giggs. And people on Facebook and Twitter have, of course, been violating this ban. Because and now rebooting the news. Ryan Giggs, Ryan Giggs, Ryan Giggs. Come get us, UK <laughs> prosecutors. <laughs> We're sitting hey, right hey, here. Hey, by the way, I just <laughs> should mention before I forget, I got a DMCA takedown notice. From? From Twitter. For? If you can believe it. Well, no, I, I, I don't, it was some other content owner. And, um, it was the most bizarre thing because it was, I have a, um, a feed in Twitter called Friends of Dave. Yeah. I'm a subscriber. It, you're a subscriber, and yeah. I think you're also one of the yeah. friends of Dave, right? And so it's a, basically an aggregator. It's a way for me to keep up on the feeds that I, I want to see every post that these people write. Mm -hmm. So some of the people I follow there are – I mean, this is an RSS thing, so I'm reading their their blogs. It's Fred Wilson and mm -hmm. Bijan Sabe. Mm -hmm. and, um, a tool. Pardon? A tool. Who's a tool? A-T-U-L. Isn't well, he in there? Yeah, but it's important that Bijan and Fred are in there because uh -huh. they're part of this takedown notice. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's why yeah. I mentioned them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and um, and so Bijan and Fred both like to blog about the music that they're listening to. Okay? Right. And, um, and Fred did that. He blogged about some music he was listening to, and Bijan commented about the music that he was listening to, and the takedown notice was about Bijan's post. And what was really funny about it was they're both Twitter board members. <laughs> and the takedown notice came from Twitter to me. <laughs> it's like, hello, what is this? Is the, and it, I got to say, it's the first takedown notice Bizarre. I've ever gotten in my entire life. Ever. Bizarre. Never gotten one before. It's weird. Yeah. But um, does it feels good to have been taken down. Yeah. Speaking of bizarre... And speaking of lawns, as you were earlier, I'd love. To I think that was the first time we ever had anything about lawns on this I'd podcast. Like to get to a, I'd like to get a picture of the lawn, of Bill Keller's lawn, off of which I'm supposed to get. <laughs> You're on his lawn? No. Jay, would you get the hell off the guy's lawn already? No. Here's what I mean. Lisa, did you read his latest oh my God, column? Yeah. About he mentioned you. It. Well, he he mentioned he didn't mention me. He referred to people like me indirectly. Oh, really? Uh, but um, <laughs> but he 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 went full curmudgeon on us, didn't he? Oh, that was. <laughs> it, when is he not? I want to go one further than yeah. like getting a picture of the lawn. I want I want to go and steal a little grass seedling from the lawn, <laughs> yeah. and everybody will okay. have a little hey, yeah, time out. Bill Keller's lawn. Uh, hold on, I don't know what the <laughs> hell you guys are talking about. So I I've been living under a rock. So You're not familiar go. with the phrase "get off my lawn." Yeah, no, I know. Uh, or get uh, off uh, my porch in my world. It's yeah, like, get off my porch. Yeah. So Bill Keller wrote one of his "get off my lawn" columns. How does it work? Why? Are you, what? In what way are you on his lawn? 
Well, it's and by it, the way, now it's been twice in rebooting these in the same damn episode we talked about wands. Right, that's 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 my segue. This is apocryphal. <laughs> this is a this is a very green episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he 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 again expressed this kind of curmudgeonly contempt for social media after saying, "Don't get me wrong, you know, Twitter's great too," <laughs> uh, and I and I can't figure out why he's doing it. And what he's gaining from it, but he does realize that he's going to get a reaction. Okay, hmm. but it's not hard to get a reaction as editor of the New York Times, you know. And I just don't get it. Do you have any clues, Lisa, to what's going on here? You know, um, well, I think it's interesting that he brings kids into it. He talks about his daughter, and he says right. he let his thirteen-year-old get on Facebook and said that he felt like, quote, "I felt like I had handed my daughter a pipe of crystal meth." Right. Right. And that, like, as as a parent, I have to say, like, you know, as soon as somebody has issues with my behavior, they start questioning my parenting. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's... So your parenting thinking, indirectly got questioned there, didn't it? Any parent that lets their children on right. Facebook. That that's, was a that's parent. what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. You know, and I've definitely had questions like that about blogging, you know, because what if I push, put, uh, put a, a post up of, you know, a picture of my kids? Mm-hmm. You know, and I get a question from somebody who I think is very smart who says... Well, some 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 weird person from the internet could come and get them. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's a boogeyman. They're trying to like enforce these social rules with me. Right. Right. And you can't attack kids, right? You know, exactly. that would be bad. And, or protecting you know? kids is always good. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, he's going to these like, you know, rhetorical places which I regard as sort of like the last ditch rhetorical effort <laughs> yeah. to send something off. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a, it, it is sort of a uh, a last refuge kind of place for him, but I don't get how the editor of the New York Times benefits from publicizing those kinds of attitudes, even though he does get a reaction out of people, and, you know, he, he kind of enjoys, it's clear that he enjoys, you know, getting mocked by the digerati and 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 standing up for these sort of old-fashioned values, and, but... W- Beyond that, kind you, of, so you're going to make this a question, or are you just going it to is wonder, a question? Can yeah. I try to sure, answer? Sure, yeah. This is not the first time this has come up. No, on the show it's water cooler crap. It's like he has a group of friends, right, that he hangs out with at the New York Times, and this is the kind of stuff they say when they get out over the water cooler about how silly it is that they're that these internet people think that they're changing the world when we actually run the world, and. Um, so that's the, that's what they talk about. And right. he's, that's just giving him copy. He says, well, I know what I'm going to do. This is, you guys make so much sense. I'm just going to write this up and make my next column. So he goes and writes it up. Mm-hmm. He feels good my, for my, um My reaction was very close to Dave's, which was, who is he trying to impress? His uh, friends. Obviously that's not us. No, not us. We're not yeah. impressed. You know, and because we pity him. We I don't... remember you, Dave, saying a long time ago that, you know, this was, this was, you know, sort of early blogging days, like 2003, that some some bloggers had a strategy of writing a negative blog post about a blogger who had a lot more traffic than theirs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. To yeah. get tra- traffic of their own. Well, that's right. well so that post, that post is also total link bait. Yes, it right? is. Right? Right. You know, so not only does he get the fun thing of being able to, you know, poke the bear right. who he thinks can't get him, hmm. right? But he also gets lots of traffic out of it. He, he does, but it's not necessarily but, the kind of traffic that. I mean, first of all, the Times already has lots of traffic, right? It's yeah. K personally. Yeah, exactly. It just, it's just, 
hard to get my mind around the fact that the editor of the New York Times yeah. is, a has the time to do is a troll. Is a troll. he has the time to worry about. This. Well, this <laughs> no, is, by it's, the way, it's this, like beyond. Well, it, it, there's something crazy. Yeah. No, yeah, wait, 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 wait. Are we feeding the troll? <laughs> yes. Well, we're not feeding him. Nobody we are feeding him. No, yes, we are. Me. Nobody listens to this. So uh, well, like, okay. forget it. Okay. All right. Nobody so we're feeding him crumbs. But this is the this is the same guy who wrote a wonderful piece about Julian Assange's socks. Right. Yeah. I mean, as if that were some issue that mattered in any way to the world that the guy, he didn't like his socks. Provocateur. It's it's a way yeah. it. The sad part about it is that the editor in chief of what is supposed to be the leading watchdog, if not the leading, a leading watchdog organization for all news in the world has time for this. Yes. Shouldn't his life be overflowing with important things? Right. Where does he get the time to do this? Oh, exactly. It. I felt yeah. the same way when, you know, I, I, I spent a little time at this place. At the Wait, let me just say this. Let me, well, let me ahead, just, please, let me, I'm sorry. Please. Well, let me just say this. There's a lie going on here, okay? The New York Times doesn't do what they say they do. They don't really watch everything. Let's be clear about that. They're not paying attention to all the things that we need them to pay attention to, right? It's all mm-hmm. a big lie. It's a, they're covering, and if you ever needed the proof, there's your proof. Go ahead, Lisa. Wait a minute, Jay. Look, you no know, reaction to that. I, mean, I let's not like. I think that your point about the distribution of attention is a very good one. Mm. If they're paying attention to and this, what are they mine not? Mine is actually re- related. Yeah, sure. You know, I think that people in power definitely aren't paying attention to things they're supposed to pay attention to. I had a had a very similar experience where I was at this. Um, hanging out at this place called the Center for Future Civic Media at the Media Lab at MIT. Uh And this guy from the State Department says he wants to come talk to us about how social media can have a role in nation building. Now, that whole sentence just, like, scares me to bits. Right. right? I'm like, you know what? You know, Twitter and Afghanistan, please, have some priorities. Where did this guy come from? Where was he coming from? State Department. He was from the State Department. And and, uh, he came to talk to us, and I just kind of thought, oh, Wait, there are many serious people to talk to at MIT. Why are you talking to us? Right. Right? You know, we fly kites off the back of boats to take, uh, you know, satellite photos, you know. So, you know, um, and he made an impromptu comment about Bradley Manning, the guy who leaked the WikiLeaks documents. Uh Uh-huh. And these meetings are open to the public, much like the blog meetings that Dave ran at, um, uh, at the Berkman Center at Harvard were. Right, which, by the way, is very unusual. <laughs> right, there's a big town and gown separation here. They're really different planets. So there was a reporter there who I think was a Neiman fellow, but was also a BBC reporter, mm-hmm. and she reported these comments. And a week later, he basically got fired. I mean, he resigned, but you know, everybody knows they were like pushing him off the gangplank. Really? Yeah. Well, you don't remember this? What was his name guy's name was uh, uh, what was his name? There was a yeah, big now, news I story. Can't, now I can't remember. Are you talking about PJ Crowley? Yeah, that's it. PJ yes, Crowley. Yes, PJ Crowley. Oh yeah, of yeah, course. She was I saying she was there. Yeah. Oh yeah. I yeah. actually wasn't there. Oh. I was. I, I was. I was. This happened when you and I were at South by Southwest. Uh huh. Um, Jay and and I actually encouraged the people at the Center for Civic Media to. I, I said, well, you know, they were all upset that he got fired, and I said, well, you're going to make a public statement, right? And that launched a really interesting internal conversation about whether they wanted to do that. They ultimately did. I don't think it really made very much of a splash. I don't know we call In that, fact, yeah. I think most people don't know where the incident happened. No, I didn't actually know where it happened. I, I remember very clearly 
that he resigned, um, and I've seen interviews with him mm-hmm. since about why. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that was a big story. It was a huge story. Happened, yeah, yeah, ma- yeah, major story. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, let's move on to our next topic. I wanted to explain what I really wanted to um, get across today at uh, TechCrunch Disrupt. Um, well, what were you doing at TechCrunch Disrupt? I was, were you disrupting them? Uh, no, I was cooperating. Was there a lot of disruption going on that you saw? Um, well, I think there were disruptors in the audience, yes. Really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but on stage, I'm not so sure. I have a feeling so sure. that it's not so disruptive, all as disruptive as they think it is. Probably, yeah. yeah. Um, it was a huge, cavernous place, Pier 94 on I've the west side. Man, it's like an airport, How many ha- were airplane hangar. How many people? Well, there was maybe six, seven hundred, maybe a thousand. That's big. Yeah. I bet there are a lot of freebies in there. Don't know. Yeah. Could be. It certainly was a heavily sponsored event. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think there was pay to speak going on there? It's possible. Did you pay to speak? I did not. You did not? No. Okay. Um, I don't do that. Uh, You don't like that either. I don't like pay to speak. No. No. Um, I should have asked that, actually. Uh, but anyway, uh, Nora Ephron interviewed Ariana Huffington and myself about various mm, ideas about changing You were the stand-in media. for Bill Keller, right? I don't think so. They explained that afterwards. I Did think they? after you got off the stage, they said, yeah, we couldn't get Bill Keller, but this turned out better. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're, co- you're kidding, right? No, no, I'm not. I absolutely swear <laughs> to God. That, uh, Eric Schoenfeld said it. That was the only part of the thing that I saw. It was like I tuned in late. All right. Yeah. Well, here's what I wanted to, to communicate, and I'd love to get Lisa's reaction and yours to this, Dave. Um, I, I tried to uh, lay out what I think would be a smart editorial strategy and sort of mission for the new AOL combined with Huffington Post. Oh, and, this is interesting. And it had three major components to it. The first is that... Um, AOL should be a news organization where the default setting toward new media, new technologies, and new ways of communicating is open. Right? Instead of what has this got to do with us or this could ruin our credibility or maybe we'll check it out if it turns out to be popular, the default setting for technology is open, which is what has made the Huffington Post really the success that it has been. Give it, what's an example of that? Well, an example of that is if you look at the way the Huffington Post has reacted to things like the rise of Facebook, social media, um, sharing tools and technologies, they just, without a lot of fuss, they just quickly incorporate them into what they're doing. Mm. And they don't make a big deal out of it. Um, It's just normal. Mm. So that's what I mean. It's like the default setting is open to new technologies. Um, Secondly... Don't you think Facebook is a competitor of AOLs? Maybe not. Maybe not anymore. I don't know. Because, you know, they often talk about Facebook as being AOL 2.0. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, maybe. It might be a harder decision for AOL than it is for Facebook. Maybe. It could be. That's one of the things to watch as Huffington Post and AOL try to make this merger. You really see it as a merger of equals, don't you? Well, in a lot of ways. I mean, if... If you just think about the editorial part of AOL, it is a merger of equals. Where does TechCrunch fit into this? Not, not as a well, TechCrunch was bought before Huffington Post, but that's exactly what Mike Arrington wanted to know. After our panel, he he actually interrupted our panel so he could have ten minutes on stage with Ariana, with my boss, as he put it, 
and he began asking questions like that. Really? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, well, how does this boss thing work? I'm not used to having a boss. Are you going to give me, like, yearly evaluations? And he went on and on like Well, that. what did she say? She said, um, <laughs> well, you know what we'll do? We'll just go out for dinner at the end of the year, and we'll get you drunk. <laughs> and we'll let you know how you're doing, and then it'll be easy. Right? That's really interesting. Yeah. So that's how it worked out. She's his boss. Well, that's, that's he made a big deal of that, yeah. yeah. Well, she is, technically. Good yeah. luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So so the second thing I said was the, the weakness of AOL as a journalism company has always been that it doesn't really have an editorial culture. And so the possibility of building a editorial culture on where we are now in journalism and in technology is, I think, really exciting. They have to figure out what do they want their own editorial culture to be because it's not going to be like the one of the past and you can't go forward with no editorial culture. So the chance to like create that is is really important to them. And then the third thing... I was going to say, isn't that a good thing, though? I mean, what? because yeah. they're trying to cover the entire United States. I actually think it's great that they don't have an editorial culture, and I think the moment that they get one, they'll fail. Well, maybe maybe that's it. Maybe 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 they, they need an, an editorial culture that's so open that it's constantly being reinvented. Maybe that's... Mm. What I'm saying is the solution to that problem is going to be critical to what happens with that company. Um, and then the third thing is that way back in the mists of journalism time, two things got um, confused with one another that really are separate. One is going out and reporting on the world, digging up facts, finding out what's going on, looking at uh, issues and problems from many perspectives, doing the work, doing your reporting, which is very important. That's one thing. And the thing it became confounded with is... The view from nowhere, having no perspective, taking no stand, coming from no place, having no philosophy, and trying to generate trust by saying, we have no view, we have no stake, we have no interest, we have no mission, we have no philosophy, so just trust us because we take the view from nowhere. And actually, those two things don't have to go together. They can be um, they can be separated, and it's possible to do very sound factual, reporting-based journalism and have a point of view and be coming from somewhere. And I think if AOL makes that the premise of its own journalism, it has a chance of becoming a new kind of news company. Hmm. Anyway, that's what I was trying to say. None of those points, as far as I could see, registered with a single person in that hall. No, not here either. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Who cares about AOL? That's what I keep thinking. As you're going through this, it's like it's why the number would... one hire journalist now. It's the company. It's the one company that is that is adding capacity. It's. At, I had a really fascinating. Well, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. Go on. I had a really fascinating patch-related experience. I had to stop somewhere to to quickly send an email, so I stopped into a Starbucks, and I see a guy at the next table, and he has a brand new shiny laptop with a huge patch sticker on the back. Yeah. Right. It's also obvious he's not a journalist. He's got shiny shoes, a really <laughs> conservative short haircut. He's wearing a suit and tie. He's a sales guy. Uh-huh. Right. And so I'm busy. Right. So I'm typing, typing, typing. But I'm like, oh, I'll introduce myself to him later. You know. And another guy, another salesperson, comes and sits down. It turns out that this guy is a salesperson for the local chain of newspapers that patches in direct competition with where I live. Uh huh. Right. 
And I thought, God loves me and wants me to be happy because he put these people right next to me to me to, for me to eavesdrop, right? Hmm. <laughs> you know? So they're, they're so meeting they with each other? To each other. Uh-huh. What? They're meeting with each other. Yes. And I think that um, I, I think that the guy from the local newspaper chain was like, you know, sort of sizing them up and thinking, should I go work there? Right. right? And he was like, they were asking each other questions about their their uh, their job and their work environment. Sort how much they got paid. Circling each other. Yeah, yeah. And he, and the the guy from the local newspaper company said, "But will you guys be around in a year?" And the patch guy says, "I don't know. Will you?" <laughs> but that's I precious. Think that's actually an that's open question for both of them. Yeah, Pat, you, you like to give them both a big hug so for that. Money for caring right, about exactly. For caring so. about each other so much. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, no, should Jay. I go work for you or should you go work for me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's like kumbaya. It's, you know it's the ad the sales. sales business. It's all the same. Yeah, that's right. You can sell. I'll sell for you. Or well, you I have a question for Lisa. Okay, so Lisa, place blogger and local stuff and everything like that. So how does Patch relate to the independent local blogger? I Big mean, issue. You know, that's a really good question. You know, I actually saw Ariana speak in um, Miami not too long ago. Um, and I have to confess that I sat there over my little plate of chicken at this kind of fancy gathering and felt extremely depressed. Because? I thought, you know, everything that I was interested in about local news is just, I, I just saw its death sentence. Mm-hmm. Right? And then I went up, I, I, I was like, I have no interest in socializing right now. I went right up to my hotel room and I thought, okay, what am I going to do now? Right? And what, what should all of these people who run these really great, interesting, authentically local sites do? Uh-huh. And I figure we have three we have three options, right? We can, you know, wave the white flag and shut up our sights and go home, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we can declare war, mm-hmm. right? Or, or we can get in the bunker and let them spend themselves to death. That's number three. That's ah. the correct answer. And although there should be a number four, okay, which is don't do anything. Just do what you were going to do anyway. Um, I have had that experience so many times of sitting in the room and feeling my, you know, completely my stomach drop out listening to the guy on stage talking about how he has the future by the you-know-whats, and it doesn't include me, okay? Right. And that's was my experience going to tech conferences for, let's say, the first 10 years of my career in the tech business. And, um, and I f- at some point in there, I had a hit product, Okay. And they were saying the same damn things from the stage. I didn't get if, – if I got pl- a place on the stage, it was on a panel. And it was always with a very limited amount of time to speak. And, you know, it really never got to tell my story. And um, I often was sitting in the audience. And then once I was sitting in the audience with the hit product, hearing the guy up on stage going about how – he owned my market and without mentioning, even mentioning my name. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it was that disrespectful. And I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, I have different numbers. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't see it that way. And it didn't turn out that way. And mm-hmm. this is a, always a lot of bluster and a big bluff that these guys do because they're inside big companies and this is, this is their currency, is this kind yeah. of bluster. Yeah. And they have to make a lot of things work in order for it to put you out of business. Mm-hmm. And they're not mm-hmm. going, in all likelihood, will not get those things to work. And they're wrong and in a million different so ways. So why were you so depressed, Lisa? Because, the, wait a second. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. Right, because, Let Dave finish. Well, yeah, no, because what they say is depressing, if you take it to heart. 
if you actually believe yeah. what they're saying, it it's it is supposed to depress you. But my advice is don't let it don't let it do that because right. they're wrong. It isn't going to happen. Yeah, and also you know like again you know it goes back to our idea about about pitching, right? All you see at those conferences is just mm-hmm. pitches, mm-hmm. right? And so many of those people have to convince other people, lots of other people, right. to work with them, to give them lots and lots of money, mm-hmm. right? So what they can actually say in public is extremely limited, yes. right? And often has very little to do with what's going on. I actually have a lot of respect for Ms. Huffington. I think she's super smart. And that's, that's actually one of the things that was depressing is that, like, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't have been affected by a pitch from somebody that I thought was stupid. Oh, it was her pitch. <laughs> it was her. Yeah, talking about Patch. She was talking right, about Right, it was her yes. talking about Pat. She's and now. So, um, and then I thought, well, you know, the her other bluster thing, is really the other good. thing to, her bluff to keep is in good. mind here is that, Still bluff. you know, is the value of the Internet really truly being an open place. You know, yes. nobody can kick you off the Internet, not right. even Ariana Huffington. If you right. want to keep doing your thing, then you keep doing it. Exactly. Don't let anything stop you. Aspect- I just pointed to an article on Berkeley side, which is one of my favorite local blogs. The headline is Melitza says, I'm in Berkeley because it makes Bill O'Reilly cry. <laughs> <laughs> and the article is every bit as good as the headline. And right. It's written by a real pro, Tracy Taylor. And I don't think Patch has anything to say about that. Did, I, you, you, know. did you see the rise of this new organization, Authentically Local, Dave? Uh-uh. You didn't? Lisa, no. do you know about this? I do know about it. Yeah. And I love Debbie Gallant, who's one of the instigators. I don't really, I didn't actually get the opportunity to sort of tune in to the announcement, so I'm not, I'm not, re- I'm not sure I really understand what it is. Well, um, I guess we'll see what it actually is. But Dave, it's a, it's a, it's a consortium of local blog sites hmm. like Berkeley Side, which is one of the co-founders. Oh, okay. Who um, are are calling themselves authentic, authentically local mm. to differentiate themselves from the chains patch, from patch syn- right. synthetically local yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh and I like that yeah and are just kind of like standing up for for that idea I have two things to say about that okay number one I mentioned both these things to Lisa in the warm up before the show is one is I think that patch isn't the problem groupon is the problem and groupon if they ever decide that news is a good attractor for their services is going to be a much more serious force than Patch ever will be because they have all this money that they, they figured out. Money. They figured out how to make money here before yeah. they got into news, right? And they don't need to get into news. They will get into news probably at some point because it will be allow them to grow a little bit. Second thing is is that there is this. This is a flash I just had. As my mother grows as a blogger, my mother is retired, as you know, I've I'm met sure, her. right? Yep. You've met my mother a few times. And um, and I'm thinking, what? Did, why don't we set the seniors in our environment loose as reporters to cover what's going on in our world? Mm-hmm. You know, you've got this incredible resource sitting there, these people with all this experience and energy and and time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's mm-hmm. the thing they got. And have them go to the museums and have them go to the youth groups and watch base, local baseball games. Whatever it is, you know, Evie Grieve, for example, lovely, wonderful local blog here mm-hmm. in East Village. Go cat, capture the culture of your community. It, that's the problem. The problem isn't whether AOL is going to kill them or not. That's, right. that's, that's it's always the very negative thing. They want you to think about it. The problem is look at all the opportunity. 
mm-hmm. at all the stuff that's going on, and you know, we can do so much better than killing things. You know. I think the other thing that that probably independent bloggers need to hold on to is these big platforms, whether it's Patch or Facebook or whatever. Um, keep going. I'm not sure so sure this is true with Facebook, but I I do feel like I have to hold on to this with Patch. Is that when I was doing local stuff, I always I've always felt that it was much more important that somebody do a, a good job, that somebody win, mm. than me personally win. That was the idea right? in blogging in the whole in the first place. Was right. It's, let's just get something working, right? It right. doesn't have to be any one particular thing that works, as long as something is. And then once something's working, then you get more than one something working. You know? mm-hmm. And the we're authentic cry can very easily devolve into yeah. Yeah. a Bill Keller-like, well, we're real and you're not. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I worry about that. Yeah. And, and that's that, when I talk to them. if that becomes yeah. really entrenched yeah. and they're not like actually looking and reading, if they stop using their critical thinking skills, that's what helped them make their sites good in the first place. Well, I don't right. think Marcos that is, is going to do that. I don't think Berkeley side is in any danger. I don't think that do they that. will either. I think but, that. You but know, let's that's, encourage that, them. That's a that's a problem that tends to, um, if it comes at all, comes over time. It takes years to get that. Well, Lisa, sort of mentally when, when that happens, we will ridicule them and get on yes, their lawn. We'll, <laughs> we'll them. taunt them. I, in, I still want a picture of the Keller Long, <laughs> okay. off of which I'm supposed to get. All right. Good night, I everybody. Want to sell our chia pet. Time to go. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Thanks, Lisa. Bye bye. Good night. Hey, this is great. Thanks. We're done.